This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we ruin your friendships and tell you about the Monty Hall problem. Decades ago, a columnist addressed a classic math problem about probability, a problem that had been solved. The solution was such a brain teaser that she incurred hate mail and threats from learned and sophisticated readers. Years after that, the problem was brought to popular culture in the hit movie about blackjack. Those who have seen the movie repeat the concept, whether they understand it or not. It's called the Monty Hall problem, and it goes like this. You're on a game show. The host shows you three doors. Behind one door is a car. Behind the other two are goats. You pick a door. Then the host opens a door revealing a goat. There are two doors remaining, one with a goat and one with a car. He turns to you and asks you, do you want to stay with your original door or do you want to switch? Well, the answer is easy. Pay attention. Welcome to episode 28 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition strategy and decision making and lost friendships, which is something that we'll talk about later. Nick, we have a genuine tragedy to discuss in this episode. We do. We have a genuine tragedy to discuss, Chris. We're talking about the Monty Hall problem today, but before we get into that, I want to thank everyone who has uh, taken a look at Chris's GoFundMe for his speech and debate team, a link that we will leave up. For a little while, if you feel so inclined, we would love for you to help send the Green River High School speech and debate team to nationals. Yeah, to everybody who's donated, really appreciate your generosity. You could literally be changing somebody's life by inspiring them, giving them the chance to perfect their craft as a kid. Uh, I know it's been the most influential thing uh, that I ever did in my youth uh, with speech and debate uh, and getting to go to the national tournament is, is a real privilege and it's something that the kids work for and they earn. Uh, and so your generosity is going a, a very long way and we really appreciate you being willing to uh, help us out with that. Equally important, Chris, uh, when you were in Louisville, you had the best stake of your life. So maybe they'll have the best stake of their life. That's right. Maybe I could open the eyes of some children who have never had a Jack Ruby Steakhouse steak. Uh, uh, I mean, it was incredible. Like, y even years later, like, I've been to a lot of good steakhouses. I've been to a lot of good restaurants. But, man, that that chunk of beef, they sear it at, like, 700 degrees on yes. this grill they have. It, it, I mean, it's unbelievable how well the steak was prepared. <sighs> Sounds good. And you and I are from Wyoming. We've had some, like, our average steak is much better than most of the stuff you get on the I-95 corridor, not going to lie. That's just yeah. We're, we're we're pretty spoiled here. We're from we're, we were born and raised in the land of beef and potatoes, and the local fare is always better. But that Louisville steak, I still hear about it every time our dad gets drunk. So <laughs> let's get into the Monty Hall problem, Chris. First of all, have to understand that this came to prominence via the game show Twenty One, but it's something that mathematician or the game show, excuse me, the movie Twenty One. That's how it entered mainstream culture. But this is something mathematicians have been talking about, and math nerds in general have been talking about for a while. Yeah, so the, the the Monty Hall problem is this really cool kind of like brain teaser. Uh, it's it, it's really just like a, a basic math and probability puzzle. Uh, it, it first uh, became famous as a question from a reader to this magazine. So Marilyn Vosavant, uh, Vosavant, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, so she's this famous advice columnist uh, from from Parade Magazine. Uh, and in 1990, uh, this guy named Craig F. Whitaker wrote a letter. And he said the following. He said, suppose you're on a game show 
and you're given the choice of three doors. Behind one door is a car, and behind the other two doors are goats. You pick a door, say door number one, and the host who knows what's behind the doors opens another door, say door number three, and it has a goat. He then says to you, do you want to pick door number two? So the question is, is it to your advantage as a player to stay with your original choice or to switch doors after the host changes door, er, reveals what's behind door number three? I think let's explain it to the people using Academy Award winning actor and convicted sex offender Kevin Spacey. Well, wait, remember, the host knows where the car is. So how do you know he's not playing a trick on you, trying to use reverse psychology to get you to pick a goat? Well, I, I wouldn't really. Okay, Chris. So I just want to be clear. He is a convicted sex offender, right? It's not just like a thing, right? That, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Well, and then he had that he had that thing where he said he was going to live his life in a certain way as if that like somehow justified what he was doing. But the point is, uh, the spaceman <laughs> is, is good at introducing this, yes. this idea. He calls it the game show problem. It's called the Monty Hall problem based yes. kind of loosely on, uh, on, on let's make a deal. Uh, and I, I said it was posed as a, as a question to uh, Marilyn Vossavant's advice column in right. 1990, but uh, it was actually originally posed in the American Statistician, of, which is a, a publication about statistics, surprisingly, uh, by this guy named Steve Selvin. Uh, and so really, really the question is, with more information in this probability game, are you actually better off if you switch doors or if you don't switch doors? So intuitively, Nick, if you had to guess... What would you say the answer is? So this is tough because I saw the movie 21 when I was 12. And even though at that time I didn't understand what the hell the Monty Hall problem was, I would say you switch because it happened in the movie. And that's literally right. it. Yeah. But, but what happened, I think, because when Let's Make a Deal, not Let's Make a Deal, the one with the briefcases and they were like the people upstairs would offer you money. What the hell? Deal was or no deal. Deal or no right. deal. When that happened, they'd be like, fuck it. You're here. Just keep your briefcase. And now I understand like, no, don't do that. Switch. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's another interesting game show for, for yes. another episode, I think. But the, the, the movie uses this term called variable change. Mm. And I don't think that that I, I mean, that might be the right term, but I, I don't really think that's the best way to try to understand it. What I think happened was that the screenwriter thought the term variable change sounded like one of those like really smart guy movie terms. Yeah. Like if you ever see like a mad scientist conducting an experiment in a movie like the Marvel movies are the worst about this. Uh, if you see someone like uh, Zola getting ready to like do an experiment with a machine, they always talk about how stable the experiment is. It's unstable. <laughs> We're at 60%, 80%, 90%. They have these like vaguely smart-sounding terms. Right. Uh, and they're tropes, really. Yeah. Have you seen the, the, uh, the YouTube clip? Them- uh, have you seen the YouTube clip, Two Idiots, One Keyboard from NCIS? No. Oh, it's, oh, is that the one where the they're hackers? both on yeah. the same keyboard trying to like prevent someone from hacking Correct. into the system? And they're like, the mainframe, it's going down. <laughs> yeah, like sort of like that. Uh, yeah, it, it, that, it, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you got to make it presentable for people who don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and you know, for most people with, with probability problems, like most people don't know what they're doing. I would say like, you know, I have a college degree. I generally do not know what I'm doing. Probability is hard, uh, man. It, it, it's hard. And var- variable change is an accurate term when you're playing with cards because there's a new card that's new information. It's a completely different thing. The variables have changed because there's a new thing conducted in the experiment. But this is not like that. There's not a new door. Right. Uh, it's just the first three doors that you get. So in, in theory, you know, if, if the host doesn't reveal any information, you don't get a chance to change. You just get a, a one in three chance of correctly selecting a car, 
from yeah. behind these doors. Right. But when the host opens another door, all of a sudden, your odds just change to like 50-50, right? Well, theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Yes. So if you walked into a room and someone said, pick from either door number one or door number two, one has a card and one has a goat. If that's all the more information you have, then yeah, you got a 50% chance of picking the right door. But the truth of the matter is, Nick, and this is really important, the Monty Hall problem is a cognitive illusion. Yes. It makes you think one thing is true, and it uses true information about math to make you draw the incorrect conclusion. So let me give you another example of that. Uh, say there's these three guys yeah. that are going to a hotel, and they're going to rent a room for the night. The room costs $30, so each of the guys forks over $10 to the guy behind the front desk. When the three guys get up to their room, they realize there's no towels. So they call down to the guy at the front desk, and they complain about it, and the guy says, okay, I'm going to give you guys a discount, and I'll send somebody up with your towels. I'll knock five bucks off the price of the room. So that brings it down to $25. So the bellboy comes up to the room. He's got five crisp $1 bills and fresh linens in his hand. He gives the guys back $5, and each one of them takes $1. So now, after they've each paid 10 for the room, now they've effectively each paid 9 for the room because they get their $1 back. However, by subtracting those $3, now the bellboy's left with 2 bucks. And since the guys can't split those $2 evenly, they just give it to him. Sure. So now each of the three guys has paid $9 for the cost of the room, and the bellboy gets $2. So that's 27 plus 2, which is 29 but they paid 30 for the room. Right. So like, where's the other dollar? I know where it is because I, I had this uh, exact, we got a fight with this in something called key camp when I was 12. I think I know where it is. And if I remember right, it's because we had a really big, probably pretty intellectual discussion for 12 year olds, which was that uh, 33% is a motherfucker and it will break your brain. Yeah, that's probably what you thought when you were 12. Yeah. It, it, so what happens is you can't, if, when they have, when they each pay 10, right? Three people, 30 bucks, 10 bucks each. Easy. However, when they knock $5 off, that does not evenly divide into the three people. So there's right. like a third of a dollar and a third of a dollar and a third of a dollar. Is that right? Right. Yeah, right. So the point, the point is that this is a, another cognitive illusion uh, that... It makes you count the wrong thing. Yeah. So by phrasing it in a way that suggests that the guys each paid nine bucks for the room instead of 10, like that's like you're no longer focusing on the total cost of the room. Now you're focusing on what I've told you to focus on, which is what the guys each paid. It, it's it's it, it fails to account for the, the uneven distribution of the other two dollars between right. the guys. Uh, and, you know, the 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 twenty five dollar amount doesn't divide evenly into three, but your brain wants to just like naturally make things nice and even Correct. like similar with the Monty Hall problem. Your brain wants to think like, okay, there are two doors. There is a 50% chance that is door number one and a 50% chance that it's door number two. And this is such a persistent thing in the brain that it wants to just like group things nice and evenly. I think I've mentioned this book on the show. I read several years ago about called why we make mistakes. And one of the mm. big reasons we make mistakes in thinking about stuff is that we tend to like group things together. Uh, one, one of the examples in the book was like everybody in the world thinks that that San Diego is west of Reno, Nevada, because California is west of Nevada. Like, OK, great. But that's not actually true because mm. the state of California bends and North America isn't exactly straight up and down. 
And so San Diego is actually to the east of Reno. Reno is farther west. But we make this mistake because we lump San Diego in with California and Reno in with Nevada. And California is generally farther west than Nevada. I have one for you. You want to know something cool? You ready for this? I have something exactly along those lines. Did you know that something like 80 or 90% of Canadians live further south than the northernmost point of California? What? Yeah. So the the majority of Canadians live in southern Ontario, which is further south than the upper part. It's along a very similar, that parallel in California, it goes all the way east. And it would cut across Ontario. So if that line of California was the northern border of the United States, Toronto would be in the United States. There is no way. It's fucking crazy. That's wild. I mean, we can Google, I mean look, I'll share my screen. I'm, I mean, I'm 99% sure of this. If I'm wrong, then you can laugh at me. But I am almost certain of this. Map, I really want to see this. Maps.google.com. This is great podcasting. So we're scrolling out. That's where I live. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We're scrolling out. We're scrolling out. We're scrolling out. Look with your eyes. Okay. I see the North Atlantic Ocean. Right. But this is, we're on an even map, right? Look at where this California line is. Okay. Right through there. Look at it. I don't see it. You're still showing the Atlantic Ocean. Wait, you see the Atlantic Ocean? You're not zoomed in? No. It's only showing part of your screen. (sighs) Douche canoes. Oh, never mind. I can can see it now. I can see it now. Look at this line. That doesn't even reach Ontario. Well, then what the fuck? Is my fact wrong? I'm pretty sure my fact is not right. Regardless, look at how many verify this fact or did you just look at this map and say like, yeah, that's about right. The point still. Yeah, actually, you know, the interest. Interestingly to me, the point still stands because look at where Toronto is. Because even though it's not in California, look how close it is, though. Look, it is almost as far south as Salt Lake City. Well, it's like a two and a half hour drive. From Toronto to Salt Lake City. Okay, well, what about Boise, Idaho? What about Wyoming? Look how many states are completely further north than Toronto. Yeah, that's a good point. Look at so, Ottawa. Look okay, at Ottawa so Montreal. The, the, the point, the, if let's let's move away from the map here <laughs> <laughs> on this on this audio medium. I will find my facts and I will explain this better next time when I'm prepared. Yes, maybe using true information. But the point is that this this cognitive illusion is such a persistent thing in the brain that it it like people get like really really riled up about this. Did you so did you hear about all this stuff with uh, uh, Marilyn Savant? There's Vol Savant getting. All this like hate mail for the this. original columnist got hate mail, like a ton of hate mail. Yeah, That's wild. No, yeah. I did not so, hear about that. so one of the one of the issues is like that people make a set of uh, of like assumptions that about this problem. That's like it's it's just like so confusing. And uh, so apparently, uh, Marilyn Valsavant wrote the correct thing in her original response to this question. She said like, no, it's in the player's interest to switch. Uh, and apparently, people just like lost their shit about this. Uh, she received reportedly thousands of letters from her readers, uh, the vast majority of which uh, disagreed with her answer. They all said, no, like that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Most said it doesn't matter. You know, it's 50%. Like, do, so it, 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 it seems like people are really globbing onto this, this bias here. She got a bunch of uh, answers from like readers with PhDs and stuff. It, the, the Wikipedia article about this quotes this guy, Scott Smith, who's PhD from the University of Florida, which like, all right, Florida, cool. PhD from Florida is like... Yeah, what's it in? Yeah, I could have gone to grad school there, but I already had my high school degree. Boom. But he said... (laughs) Scott Smith, PhD, said... He said, you blew it, and you blew it big. Since you seem to have difficulty grasping the basic principle at work here, I'll explain. 
After the host reveals the GOAT, you now have a one in two chance of being correct. Whether you change your selection or not, the odds are the same. There's enough mathematical illiteracy in this country, and we don't need the world's highest IQ propagating more. Shame. So that was in 1990. <laughs> Since then, this movie 21 has come out. Yeah. Everybody has seen it. Everybody's been lectured about variable change by this bratty kid who wants to make it big in Las Vegas and like somehow doesn't have a good enough life going to Harvard Med. Okay, fine. However, Nick... Yes. The Monty Hall problem recently became personal for me. Mm. Well, it did. Two we very have, well, close actually, friends of mine. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Will be, I, want to, I, want to, I want to reiterate to people that we did this, and our dad not, didn't get mad at us, had a tough time understanding this. And my wife, who went to medical school, she's right there, back behind me, she had a tough time with this. And she's a math nerd. This is a brain teaser, and it, it is just very fucking strange. Yeah, it makes, you, it makes you count the wrong things. Your brain is fixated on these doors. So two friends of mine uh, whose names will be changed to Thelma and Louise to protect the innocent, uh, <laughs> they sent me a message the other night. They said, we had a blow-up fight with our friend because of the Monty Hall problem. He literally asked us to leave because he thought it was 50-50. They quoted this exchange at length and these are like good friends these are people who have known each other for a long time for years i've spent time with you know with the three of them in various settings they're just a hoot and a half very fun people not normally prone to this kind of thing apparently this third friend said if i have two doors and a car is behind one do you or do you not have a 50 percent chance of getting the right answer and one of my friends thelma responded to quote Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny, that is a bullshit question because it's not the problem. And Thelma got it right. She was exactly spot on. She identified this uh, the, 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 the accounting trickery in the Monty Hall problem that makes people think it's a 50-50% chance. She texted me about this herself like days later. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, I, I, I spent my whole weekend thinking about the Monty Hall problem, which is a very healthy, normal, well-adjusted way to spend your weekend as an adult in 2022. <laughs> yeah, better than TikTok. And she said, if you actually take the time to walk through every assumption and every possibility in this like decision tree of the Monty Hall problem... It's actually very easy to understand because you don't by, by walking through each of these steps, you don't get caught up on trying to like manage this 50-50 problem. What you do is manage individual decisions along the way, and then the path becomes obvious. Right. Um, she sent me a text and she she drew like this like diagram of like highlighted colored doors and like where yeah. goats are, and I, she named the goats even in this diagram. And it, it it makes a lot of sense the way she laid it out. And I also want to give shout out to uh, to another buddy of mine. Uh, shout out to Tyler, who's he's a he's a faithful player three uh, player listener three. to the show, uh, Tyler. Uh, wrote a Python code that walks through this Monty Hall problem. Nick, did you get a chance to look at the code I sent you? No. I Well, I saw it, but I thought I misunderstood. You had an email that was like, there are spoilers below. So I was like, shit, I don't know what I do. The code that Tyler gave me is the same reasoning that Thelma showed me. And it's very, very simple when you think about, like, if you step into the shoes of the person on this show, what are all the steps involved in this process that could get you to the correct door? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, Nick, we're going to walk through this and we're going to explain to player three why it is always in your interest 
to switch doors. So this is, I have to caveat this because this will, uh, this is going to, it gets like my dad and my wife and like this blow up. And also, because I always wanted to have a surprise for you. Did you know that it was four years ago as we record this last week, yesterday, that this happened? This problem will do that to everybody. It's true. It's true. Greatest you're going to look at me and it. tell me that I'm wrong. You're going to look at me and tell me that's what it is. That's what's going to happen. So let's discuss the, the actual problem. Let's because we've explained the doors and like you got three, then you got two. So do you switch? The answer is yes. And here is why. Okay. Yes. So the answer is yes. You should always switch. And we're going to do this by labeling the doors A, B, and C mm. and saying that, okay, player three, you're up. You get to choose. Now, the first thing that we should do is track where the car is. So just for the purposes of this exercise, we're going to put the car behind door number one, door A. Okay? So that means when you, player three, walk up and you have a choice between A, B, and C, you have a 33% chance of guessing correctly on the first go. One and three. So let's say you pick door A. Okay? So then Monty Hall, the host of the game show, comes out and says, okay, great. What's behind door C? He opens the door, and there's a goat there. All right. Now, player three, this is a really important point because one of the key assumptions here in this problem is that the host is always going to show you a door with a goat. Right. You will always be shown a door that does not have a car behind it. So when Monty Hall asks you if you want to change, you pick door A. The car happens to be behind door A. You switch to door B. You have now lost. You, got, you get a nice, delicious goat. All right. That's one possibility. Possibility number two. The car is behind door A. You come in and pick door B. Monty Hall comes in again and says, okay, what's behind door C? He reveals the goat, asks if you want to switch. You switch to door A. Great. You've won a car. Okay, yeah. so that's possibility number two. Let me call time possibility out Possibility number three. And let me explain why they always have to reveal a goat is because there are two of them. So when you pick one, if you don't get the car or if you do get the car, it is irrelevant. He's not always picking door C or B or A. He's always picking one of the goats because no matter what you pick, there will always be a goat left over. So that, like, that people can get hung up on that. It's not that he's like, okay, let's open door C. It's like, let's open one of the doors. I know that it's going to be a goat back there. That's why that, that's, that's part of this, this trick. Yes, but now that we've interrupted the chain of reasoning that's, like, difficult to follow, let's start over from the beginning. Yes. The car is behind door A. You do not know that. If you pick door A, the host reveals door C. You switch to door B and you lose. That's route number one. Yes. Route number two, you pick door B, the host reveals door C, you switch to A and you win. All right, that's route number two. Right. Route number three, you pick door C, the host now reveals door B because of what Nick just said, and you switch to door A. You win again. So when you walk into the room, the 33% odds that you have of getting it right the first time, okay, that's a one in three chance. But by revealing information to you, the host now gives you a situation where you can switch and take advantage of the balance of the odds from the beginning of the selection. You are now able to take advantage of two out of three scenarios it's not 50 50 by by counting the doors after the host reveals the wrong door to you 
that's where your brain is doing the wrong accounting. That's when you're starting to focus on how much money each of the guys individually paid for the price of the room, and you're forgetting about the uneven distribution of the tip. You're forgetting about the total cost and focusing on the local cost. Instead, what you should understand is, of these three possibilities, the host is going to show you the wrong one, and you have to switch doors. The assumption is that you switch doors, then if you switch every time, you're right two out of three times. You're right. inverting the odds from one-third to two-thirds. Right. So the, I think it's a, a good way to explain this, and this is actually, interestingly enough, of sports gambling becoming legal all over the country. People, if you ever hear them say they're professional gamblers, James Holzhauer famously on Jeopardy, this concept right here is sort of similarly how they make millions of dollars, like the Sharks. A lot of people do it for fun because they're rich. It's when you walk into a game at a certain point, you look at the odds and you're like, this is the situation. However, if you've watched the game the whole time, you know that that's not actually what's happening. So when you walk into a room and you're like, there's a goat in one of these doors, there's a car in the other, that's 50-50. Yes, 100% true. The problem is that you have to watch the whole game, right? To get the entire scope of the information. It's not 50-50. If, it's, if you walk into a room and it's two doors, it is 50-50. If you walk into a room and there's three doors, it's never going to be 50-50 under any circumstances. Those odds don't go somewhere just because they that's reveal right. the door. It doesn't go anywhere. Those odds are still that's right. there. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, that, and that is exactly why this is a cognitive illusion because by, by mentally drawing a barrier around this two-door system once the, door get, once the host gets rid of one of the wrong doors, you've artificially limited the possibilities of the game. Like you've, you've drawn the line in the wrong spot. And so that forces you to, you, you, you fail to account for other things that change the end result. You're exactly right, Nick. You can't have a 50-50% chance in a three-part system. Right. So right. when you go into this situation, don't artificially draw this line. Don't forget to account for all of the variables because that changes the numbers and it changes them against your interest. So. Right. It, it, that, that, that's and and you know I, I, that's why I want to shout out to uh, to Thelma and Tyler for getting this exactly right. With you know Tyler wrote his code, Thelma drew it out on a piece of paper. If you actually walk through the steps and you keep track of information throughout the problem and not just after the host has cha- has eliminated one of the doors, then you understand like there are three possibilities here. If I switch, I switch to the winning door, I switch to the winning door, or I switch to a losing door. That right. is where you get the, the 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 odds in your favor. Right, yeah. Like, the only so way just, to lose is by guessing it right the first time. Yes, uh, yeah, 100%. Well, if you if you follow the odds, I mean, part of this the uh, the only other part of this that's kind of that, that's kind of strange is if you like are a gut feeling person and that that's sort of anchoring, right? Like I have a feeling that I got it right the first time and that's not using probability. And because to be frank with you, like it depends what's on the line. Part of this is that it's free. Right. So no matter what you get, you didn't pay for it. If there was an investment, a lot of people would have a like a, a, a complicated situation with the, the sunk cost fallacy. Right. It's like no matter what, you're going to get this thing that's free because of that. You're willing to be like, well, worst case scenario is I don't get anything and I'm on a game show. Who cares? And that anchors you to this idea that you were right all along. It doesn't really matter. But if you if you just completely abandon that in favor of the math, you can find advantages. And that's true in every single game. This is how James Holzhauer dominated Jeopardy with the daily double thing. Because you're like, I don't want to lose. Like more, some is better than none. No, bullshit. Twice as much is so much better than like 2,000 extra dollars. Like it's not even, it's totally worth going in the whole thousands of dollars to risk going for that. 
So when you divorce yourself from the game and just look at the math problem like you're, like you're in SAT, this is easy. Yep. Yeah, it's, it, it's very simple. And, and, and you're right. Like the anchoring bias makes people want to like go with their instinct the first time. Like you, you hear that advice about like standardized tests. Like, oh, if you don't know the answer, like go with your gut instinct. Uh, actually, that you shouldn't do that. Like Never. you should think through the problems and like revisit them and, and, and use objective mathematical analysis instead of like, well, this one feels right. You know, right. You, you say, say what you want about Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I have plenty of opinions about Malcolm Gladwell, but in his book, Blink, he wrote about, you know, some of the decisions that we make, like some of the snap decisions, people feel like they're right because psychologically we tend to like, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot more for making decisions that are wrong. And like, it stands out more strongly in our mind if we rethink an answer and it turns out to be incorrect. Like if we're trying to decide between options one and option and two, and option one is our first instinct. We switched option two and it doesn't turn out we're like, wow, shoot, we, we, we really get caught up on that. And that gives it an outsized presence in our psychological, like in our memory. And that leads us in the future to think like, well, you know, I, I usually should go with my gut because when I don't go with my gut, I get it wrong. But the data don't really don't really show that. Like the only time, according to Gladwell, that that's really true is when somebody is so well versed in something. When somebody yeah. is, has so much expertise, so much time on target, so much of themselves invested in like being an expert at a thing, that they're able to make snap decisions because those decisions are made on based on informed experience and training and specialized knowledge and a lot of just internalizing what you're thinking about. That's why chess players are so good at like solving problems really quickly, whereas if you up. get a chess puzzle for an amateur, you and I spend like minutes hours, days sometimes on trying to solve these puzzles because we just haven't spent the hours and hours and hours and hours required to get like to master expert GM level. Uh, we can't yes. make those kind of snap decisions. So our gut instinct is much more often wrong. So Magnus Carlson is very famously, he discussed this in, a, in, a, in an interview, I want to say with uh, 60 Minutes or something. And he's kind of studied himself. Obviously, you and I consider him, he is a genius. And one of the things that's really fascinating about him he revealed this in 60 Minutes, and I think he's been doing it behind closed doors. He's very smart with the information he puts out in the public. But one of the things that he said was oftentimes in these big over-the-board matches that have a lot on them, perhaps a world championship or some sort of tournament, he says, I'll spend, say, 20 or 30 minutes thinking about a move, and I end up doing the thing I wanted to do instantly, which means that he has so much experience and so much understanding that his gut instinct was like, this is the move, and he can go. And his brain does not work like brains that of the vast majority of people that have ever lived. It's like... It's calculus. His brain is a computer. By the end of his analysis, like a computer running on hot, his brain is like, you should have done that. And now you've wasted this time. And so I'm, it's exactly what you're talking about. The amount of experience for people that have been through that and been through that and been through that. I see this happen a lot in sports. So for me, this is, and you played hockey and I played hockey. This is one of the weirdest things that has ever happened in hockey, but it happens so often. Occasionally, a goaltender will be hot. And for whatever reason, maybe they're an elite goalie, maybe they're not. But they're just seeing the game really well, and two out of three times, it's just impossible to score on them. So in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you best of seven series, first team to win four games advances to the next round. In, in those seven games, maybe five of those games, that goalie is so hot, he can't be scored on. Coaching will tell you, just keep trying. But experience will tell you, don't do that. Just because he just wants to stop the puck. He wants to stop the puck. He wants to stop the puck. 
you're you're anchored to what you've always been taught to do, but in reality, you should do the opposite thing because you don't have the advantage that you think you have just because you're there. That That's true. It happens all the time. This is why I find poker fascinating. I've said we were going to do a poker episode and we're going to do a poker episode. It's sort of the exact same thing, but the Monty Hall problem is basic. It's sort of like chess. There's no bluffing, not really, right? This is There's just three doors. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it, one of the other... Uh, one of the other ways people get caught up on the Monty Hall problem is by thinking like, well, what did what did the spaceman say in the movie clip? Maybe the host is trying to play reverse psychology with you and get you to pick the wrong door because he knows where the car is. Right. But what the host cannot do is change. He cannot change the fact that if you switch, you're moving from point A to point B. You're going from one location to another. And there are two wrong spots to start at and there are two paths to get to the right spot. Because the host is going to eliminate the path to the wrong spot. In, yeah. in, in, in getting rid of this door, he's not cutting it down to a 50-50 chance. He's actually eliminating a pathway for you to move to a wrong location. Yeah. So if you start at the right location and the host cuts off one, one door, you, can, you only have a path to the wrong answer. Right. But if you start from the wrong location, the host cuts off a path to a wrong location, there are only paths to the right door remaining. So what really happens is your odds are based on your first decision if you decide to switch. Yes. And if you decide to switch, you literally flip the odds. And mathematically, that's hard to get around because it's not immediately intuitive because of this like 50-50 anchoring bias. And it's not intuitive because people think like, well, you know, the host is trying to get one over on me or I often rethink my decisions and I feel like I should just go with my gut. And like, those are just biases that make people make the wrong analytic conclusion. And they're not doing themselves any favors by playing the odds. And, and you know, it, it is true that a third of the time people are going to get it right. Yeah. But that's only a third of the time. I'd rather have two-thirds odds, I'd rather have a 67% chance of succeeding than a 33% chance anytime, no matter how good I feel about it. Yeah, two thoughts. Um, thought number one is this is a real motherfucker because the game show is in front of a live audience and the live audience is tricked the same way they are and they further influence this person's decision. Now, to be clear, game shows and casinos don't want you to win. So they're going to put you in a situation to fuck up, always point blank, period. If your gut instinct in a casino is to do something, stop and think about it. Because they, they you don't, the, the, the shit that you see in Vegas was not built on hard work. It was built on screwing your brain, period. Yes. Secondly, to go back to the thing I said earlier about like key camp, this is, in my theory, like I've thought, I've spent a weird amount of time thinking about this. Because we have a 110 based number system as humans, for the most part, except for like America with different measurements, mm -hmm. a 10 based system, right? For the most part, anytime humans are faced with something that has a third, it fucks their brain. It breaks I, their brain. And listen, player three out there, I am telling you we need a base 12 counting system. We need to switch to base 12. I will die on that hill. Yeah, that's I don't a deep care dive. what happens it, it, in my lifetime. If we switch to a base 12, I will have considered my presence on earth a success. The, uh, because that's a deep base dive 12. People, what, let me ask you this, Nick. Why do you think yeah. there are 360 degrees in a circle? You think scientists uh, got down to the core of circles and they realized, oh my goodness, I can count 360 degrees here. No, it's because it's mathematically convenient. You can divide it into thirds, fourths, sixths, twelfths, 24ths, easy fractions, 
And if we have that system, like the Babylonians had a base 12 slash base 60 counting system, it was way easier for doing fractions like that, including thirds. So they didn't need to use their fingers and toes like a bunch of Neanderthals. They were an advanced civilization and hot dang it. Like the metric system has ruined people's ability to do Mm -hmm. basic math. I'm, 100%. I'm convinced of it. This is that. We literally just, we started the episode talking about the, the hotel room money thing, and it is because of thirds. It is because we want quarters. The problem is a quarter or a half of a quarter is 12.5. And at that point, when there are three or four people, it does not divide and it breaks our brain. So think about the money hall problem like a pizza. You cut a pizza into thirds. And then it appears like you cut it into halves. Like that's not what happens. You can't make three go into two like that. You have by starting in thirds, you can never unfuck it from being a third ever. It will never be quarterable. Never, ever. Because that, like, that's not how thirds and fourths work. This is the same exact situation. That's true. And by the way, here's another plug for my base 12 system. So yeah. the, the original <laughs> math problem that we had, the yeah. room cost $30 uh, in, uh, in, in this little fantasy world. Uh, in base 12, that's 26. So each of the guys get you divide that into into thirds well i actually know what i'm not gonna forget this guys i'm telling you right now the deep dive on the base 12 system is a great way to great way to ruin your saturday or stay up till 2 a.m on accident if you don't know about the base 12 system it'll blow your mind yeah oh it's 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 incredible like if you give this kid the the bellboy two dollars you got 24 bucks split between three guys like come on y'all the math is there (laughs) of course 24 and base 12 is not different, 24. but yeah, exactly. everything's it's like a parallel universe. It's like those people who discovered how incorrect the maps that we use are and that they're a little they're like using them to this day are a little biased and racist. But also the the maps that we've seen in your textbooks are not your actual maps. They were used for their nautical maps and countries are not actually that big. The idea that the United States and North America is remotely the same size of, as Canada are, is just factually incorrect. Are you talking about the Mercator projection? Mm-hmm. Are you talking about that one episode of the West Wing? Uh, yeah, have you ever deep dived that shit? The Mercator projection? Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, it's a nautical like, map. It makes sailing easy. Like our, yeah, like our, we had a globe growing up. By the yeah. way, allegedly, allegedly. Alleg- okay. This is rumor intelligence. Mm. Uh, there is an agency called the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Guess what their job uh. is? Maps. They're like, they're like for mapping and stuff. Right, that's legit. Apparently, allegedly, the rumor around these parts is that there are no shit flat earthers that work there at the government's like main mapping intelligence agency. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, dog, it's a uh, disc. So this is actually a good this this is a good kind of comparison to what we're talking about with the Monty Hall and how it kind of breaks people's brains. Where it, at a certain point, this does become psychology, and this is how you get you know your moments like. Because you you anchor yourself to your opinion at a certain point, right? Which is part of the issue. And like the flat, there's a flat Earth documentary on Netflix where these guys set up an experiment. And have you seen the the, the documentary? It's incredible. It's a great documentary for anybody watching. Because to me, flat I've Earth. I've seen is the scene that you're talking about, but go ahead. Yes. So the flat Earth documentary is great. It's about like I think the flat Earth uh, society is really just about having friends and and being conspiracy theorists. And it's kind of for the most part like a cute little conspiracy theory, but very dangerous in the hands of the wrong people. This guy, these guys, they set up an experiment to prove that the earth is flat. They're like, we've designed this experiment and this is a sound experiment. They have variable control. They have a hypothesis. They have a manner of testing it. Shit is tight. 
Then they look in the camera of this guy making the documentary and they're like, if the earth is round, this is what should happen. These, at a certain point in time, the spherical surface of the earth, the tops of these pillars should disappear. They set up the experiment with lights in the dark so that there's no sunlight, there's no distractions, nothing. They can't see each other, just the lights. They're like, we shouldn't be able to see the light if the earth is round. Then the thing that they said needs to happen to prove that the earth is round happens in front of them on camera. And they're like, uh, well, we must have fucked it up. Yeah, they, when they, they, they're like, well, yeah, if, if the pole was five feet higher, we'd be able to see the light. If, <laughs> yes. But uh, since the earth is flat, we're going to be able to see it anyway. So they, they look in the camera and they can't see it. It's like, huh, that's weird. Raise your light five feet. And they do. And they can see it. And the yes. guy just goes, huh. <laughs> right. And that's, that's exactly sort of the situation with the Monty Hall problem where like at a certain point, it becomes about winning the argument where if you don't like uh, allow yourself to be confused for a little while and really work through the Rubik's Cube of the problem, you're just going to fall back on the baseline of, oh, 50-50. But you have to really think like when you walk in the room and you see the three doors, you have a one in three chance. When they open it, you have a two in three chance if you move. And it's, it's just odds. It's just twice, but it's twice as good. 66%. If you were, say, you know, diagnosed with a, with a bad illness that has a 66% chance of living versus one that has a 33% chance of living, you wouldn't have to have a conversation about what treatment you were going to seek. You wouldn't have to even think about it. This is the same sort of thing, but the process by which you get there screws with your brain, and that's how game shows were able to get people to look like morons. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, the, the, I, I mentioned earlier about using true information to make people draw the incorrect conclusion. Like, it is true that by switching, sometimes you will lose. Yeah. You'll lose a third of the time. A third of the it's time. It's just a question of, like, when, when will you lose more often or, or, or when will you win more often? I, you mentioned James Holzhauer, professional gambler. Like, he doesn't win every bet. He just plays the odds and makes good money when he does bet well. Right. It's, it, it's about you know, the long-term... What are the what what are the numbers say and following the numbers, irrespective of my biases, irrespective of, you know, I just have a feeling irrespective of, well, maybe somebody's trying to get one over on me. So I'll show them by staying. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And you know, it, it, it takes real intellectual humility to admit when, you know, an answer is right versus when it's not. Uh, and that's especially true when dealing with like a cognitive illusion like this one, like it makes you think about the wrong thing and it use, lets you use true information to draw the wrong conclusions. Uh, but if you follow the pathways and if you walk through the simple steps, uh, it, it's pretty clear. And by the way, with the example, when we walked through things earlier with doors A, B, and C, uh, I, I, we, we only walked through like if the door cars behind door A. Uh, right. It, it's intuitive, but we'll just say it explicitly. It doesn't matter where the car is. It could be behind no. door A, B, or C. But the point is that there are two ways to get to the car if you switch and only one way to get away from the car if you switch. Yeah. And that's if you start with the car. Uh, it, it, the, the doors are fungible. It doesn't matter where it starts. Like The pathways are always the same. It's always 66% chance of getting it right by switching. Yeah, I guess we should just keep nailing down on this for people because when you, okay, this will be the last time we do it and then I'll have a sports metaphor and we'll get out of here. But let's just make sure we drive home the point of this. When you walk in the room, the least likely scenario when you get to pick is that you pick the car. Right. right. That's the least likely thing to happen when you select your initial choice. Correct. Correct. Then thing number two happens. So option one is you pick. Most likely it's not the car. 
Option thing number two that happens is they open up and reveal a goat. Now you have information. They didn't just open up a door because if they opened up a door that you didn't pick and it was a car, you'd be like, oh, I have a goat. So they build suspense and they break your brain at the same time. So they open a door and now you're like, oh, I have a 50-50 chance that I originally picked right. No. Right, because by opening no. the door, they make you cognitively draw a line in the sand that Correct. should not be there. Correct. So by opening the door, you, you think like, oh, this is a new game. I have 50% chance to get it right. Nope. You had a 33% chance to get it right. They just showed you that maybe uh, it's still right. No. No, they showed you that like it's more likely that you fucked up. Right. And that's the, that's the brain teaser. Like at, When you walk in, you have a one in three chance. Just because they opened a door, that does not change. Now, in fact, what actually changes is like, whoa, I probably screwed up. And because they always open a door with a goat, they put you in advantage to get the car. They give you information. If they just opened a door at random, you would always have a third, one in three chance and it would never change. But because they always open a door with the goat, they change it on themselves. But because they're, they expect you to do that, they will always open the door with the goat. Right. If, if they didn't open a door and they just gave you the chance to switch, then people who are like, well, it's 50-50. Well, I mean... Yeah, like the, the the numbers change there, like because there yeah. are different pathways that now you have a pathway Correct. from wrong to wrong, like that that way it, you know the odds are still the same. It's still one in three chance, right? So I I I've, I'm I've been trying to use this uh, metaphor as a way to guide my life and to think about sports and to like think about how I do in my job, and it is please say it's a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's it's a chess thing. I, I I'm starting to learn as my journey, and I try to become a better chess player, which is hit or miss. I'm realizing that chess is often thought about. As hob- for, by hobbyists and whatnot, as a game of pieces and moves. It is not a game of pieces and moves. That is an element. Those are the variables. It is a game of squares. You have to see, the thing I'm telling myself is to see the whole board. See every single square. The spaces never change. The pieces and the moves, those are, pa- those are the playing rules, but you have to see the whole board. This is the same is true for sports. And as we record this, the NCAA men's college basketball game just happened. Well, think about this in terms of gambling. It's the same exact thing. The Las Vegas odds makers, who are very good at this, gave Kansas, they, they predicted that Kansas would win by four or more, or more than four points. At the end of the game, Kansas won by three, which is a pretty close guess from Las Vegas. However, at halftime of the game, the University of North Carolina was leading Kansas by 15. Mind-blowing. This is where people like James Holzhauer make their money because you can bet during the game. And during the game, the odds go up or they go down, at some point during that game, the odds became that North Carolina, who was favored to lose the game, became favored to win the game by more than 10. The game was never not going to be 60 minutes long. Just because they're winning at halftime doesn't mean anything. Literally nothing. And, but your brain thinks that it does because they have a head start. They don't have a head start. Half of the board is filled right now. Half of it. And that's where people like James Holzhauer make their money. They capitalize on the idea that people in Las Vegas try to entice you to bet the stupid thing. James Holzhauer makes his money by betting against that stupid thing. It that's is, the way to do it. It, 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 it really it breaks your brain with this, this kind of thing. But if you have a basic understanding of math and if you have the gumption, a good 1950s word, to stick to math, you'll be better more often than not. That's all I've ever wanted to be, Nick. Better more often than you're not? 
Yes. Well, I that explains so far, why you were late to our recording because apparently he was at the gym too long. I imagine what we were doing: uh, hip abductor or bench press. Fifty-fifty. Uh, I was actually doing both at the same time. Same. Oh, that was a little, bit of a show off there. Bit of a show. Maximize off. my time. Like, rate, review, subscribe. You can watch this episode in its entirety on YouTube. Tell your friends about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There will be links to all the stuff in the show notes. Don't forget about Chris's. Uh, GoFundMe, Patreon, GoFundMe for the Green River High School speech and debate. That'll be in the show notes as well. Chris, let's get out of here. I want to introduce a new type of episode next time. We are going to start doing true crime. We're going to start looking into fraudsters, my favorite fraudsters. It's coming up next on Game Theory. Change the door. And we're live with this week's episode of Game Theory.